All right. Good evening, church. This on. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed dinner tonight. Enjoyed the worship. I um. This is one of my favorite things that we that we get to do as a church, and I can just tell why because there's so much love in this room and and so much fellowship, and that's what church is about. Is uh, it's not about a building. It's not about um, anything like that. We're the church, you know. It's about people, and uh, that excites me. And um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Jeff. I'm, I'm one of the people on staff here, and also co-leading the prayer ministry with Randy. And um, and it's just a it's just a pleasure just to be a part of this. You know, I love it. It's just cool to see people growing and and people knowing God and people's lives being changed and. Uh, and for tonight, I hope you're sitting at a table with other people because I want to start off with a question in, some, in group time. And uh, my question is, what kind of person comes to mind when you think of the word daring? You know, maybe a name might come to mind or you could either think of a type of person. What kind of person or name comes to mind when you think of the word daring? So just take two minutes with your table and, and just talk about that. All right. All right, wrap it up, wrap it up. I want to hear some names. Anybody come up with a name or anybody that you think? Evil Knievel? For, for, the, for the older yeah, generation, Evil Knievel, this guy, just do these death-defying stunts. You know, I remember my day, like, uh, daring was, I think, Tony Hawk, right? Did this 1080 on, the, on a half pipe. But you look at today, we got people jumping from outer space, uh, skydiving from outer space all the way down. You got people riding motorcycles at, uh, in Tahiti on these gigantic waves. You got, you got just all this crazy stuntmen and, and Red Bull stuff just going on. And that's, that's what I think when I think of daring, right? Someone that kind of is taking a huge risk, doing something that is death-defying. But for tonight, I'm kind of changing the definition a little bit because for me, I think daring is simply this, to, to move beyond perceived limitation and i'll say that again you know my definition of being daring is simply to move beyond or move past perceived limitation because for me i want to be a daring kind of christian in this world i want to be daring in god's kingdom to be someone that is willing to step out and try something out of my norm you know, to, to move beyond even my perceived limitations, move beyond even maybe the limitations that other people place on me, or even some of the, the norms or culture that we're in. I, that's what daring means to me in that context. And if you've been a part of the gathering the last few weeks, we're in the book of Daniel, we're in chapter 6, and you might agree with me that I, I realize that I think Daniel is daring. You know, he's daring for his boldness for God. He's daring in the righteous way that he lives his life, despite living in a culture that is completely contrary to his beliefs and convictions. And I think tonight we're going to see just a little bit how, a little bit more about how he's daring. And, and usually I don't think, you know, you don't think someone like Daniel or a straight-laced guy like that or, or man integrity is daring, but I'm starting to see that he is. And so... If you're able, you guys may please stand with me as we just read the 
first few verses. We're in chapter 6, verse 1. So Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm. And over them, three administrators, including Daniel. These sea traps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge of of corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, that we could could even come here, Lord, and, and learn more about your word, God. I pray that your spirit would just be present among your people, Lord, that... That people would receive what they need to hear, Lord. That we would be blessed, God, because uh, you love us and you want to just show favor upon us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So I'd like to look at this first chunk as kind of Daniel's resume. It's It's a pretty impressive resume. And he's known as his man... Of integrity, if you haven't uh, discovered that already, if you just look at some of these verses, you know it says he was he distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps. Also, verse three, he had an extraordinary spirit. Verse four, it says they could find no charge or corruption. Also, verse four, he says for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. This man is righteous. You know, this, this man that nobody could find anything against him. He, he was completely spotless. You know, and, and that's what it means. Righteous means that no one can find any charge in any area in their life. And that he was also right in all his relations with other people. Now, that's, you may not think that's pretty impressive, but I was, I was in the book of Ezekiel. And God mentions three people, and he puts Daniel with uh, these three people. He puts Daniel with... Noah and Job. And he mentions those three, Noah, Daniel, and Job, as men of extraordinary righteousness and integrity. So they make God's list of just being phenomenal uh, men of God. And in our story, even his enemies who are trying to plot against him want to find something, but they cannot find anything. And in verse 5 we see... You know, they even say, we'll never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of God. So they, so they know that they have nothing on him, but they're going to still try to trap him. And they knew how they're going to trap him. They're going to trap him because he was a faithful man of God, you know? Because Daniel, he stuck out. They knew that he worshipped Yahweh, that he, that he revered his statutes. You know, and I hope that we don't underestimate the power of society. You know, I think even, even in our society today, just the, the power it has on our beliefs, the power it has on our, our mindsets, the way that we behave, the way that we perceive morals and values. It's very powerful, and you can just see how each generation grows up kind of differently than 
other generations and, and how they value different things. Well, the same is true for Daniel's time. He, he lived in a pagan culture. There was no temple. You know, there was no priests or sacrifices going on. They were, they were in a foreign land in exile. And so if you look at his life, you, you would have to admit, like, he's daring. He, he's willing to stick out for God. You know, he's willing to live uh, righteously, contrary to what was going on in his time. But, you know, I also kind of want to make this stretch that, you know, even though I believe Daniel is daring, sometimes people that we wouldn't expect are daring as well. You know, sometimes people we would even necessarily, that would stick out in our mind, we would think that they would have great courage or that we would attest great virtue or morality or integrity and uh, a person that comes to my mind that i i think was pretty daring was uh, robert leon and some of you guys know who he was he was um i was at his funeral on saturday and it was probably the most powerful funeral i've, I've been to actually it was it was it was almost a celebration of this man's life and walk with with God, and it almost makes me want to go to more funerals because I'm like, this is this is awesome, you know. It's cool to be, it's fun to be able to celebrate someone's life. But if you don't know who he is, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on his testimony. You could look it up under uh, on YouTube, Celebrate Recovery, Robert Leon. But in short, you know, he um, he had a really hard life. You know, his, he he came from a family that didn't really love him, so he turned to gang, the gang life. And uh, that became his life, and, and jail became his life. I think he spent at least 27 years of his life locked up. And some of that in San Quentin, you know, which is a very serious prison. But God radically saved him through correspondence with um, Crossroads and a pastor there. And it was just kind of cool seeing him. I remember meeting him the first time. He walks into the junior high, and, and the junior hires look so scared. You know, they were terrified they're like man this guy's gonna commit a felony or something in the church and because he, he looked like a gangbanger he acted like a gangbanger you know he just just wore everything like that and he was kind of a scary guy had tattoos all over and um the thing i want to talk about in his life is that he had tremendous flaws he had a tremendous time living out his christian walk and yet he was a great worshiper of the lord you know he would come to church and he would change the atmosphere of the room because they would see how he worshipped God. Because he knew he was forgiven of much. And I was just thinking maybe what was some of the things that he was had a face? You know, he had a face coming into a church, maybe not being accepted. He had a face, you know, trying to find a job and make a living with a criminal record. He had a face raising a family and trying to love his kids, even though that his parents would lock him in the basement you know, for long periods of time. And so I look at this man's life. He, he made, he had a lot of setbacks. He had a lot of failures, but he also made a lot of attempts. And he attempted to live outside of his limitations. And I wonder how many of us, if we had the same upbringing, if we would have that same courage, if we were in his shoes, you know? So I, just to kind of, I just wanted to kind of change it a little bit just to show that you can be daring even though you may not look like a Daniel, you know, even though you are not perfect like him, because daring isn't about being perfect. It's about making an attempt. You know, it's about moving past perceived limitations. And some of us, we just have, some of us have more than 
other people. You know, if you're raised in a good home and you have good manners, then praise God because that's a blessing from the Lord. You know, and, and back to our story, Daniel, he stands out. He's daring and he's living righteously and his enemies are jealous because the king notices Daniel. You know, he's pretty much the king's favorite and he's highly favored by this king and and they're going to continue and they're going to try to carry out their wicked plot against them so we pick up in verse six it says so the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him and king darius live forever all the ministers of the kingdom the prefects satraps advisors and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man, except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the document. It's pretty, I don't know if you guys are seeing a theme here, but it seems like these kings never really learn. You know, we've had all these kings, some set up statues, some are parting with all these golden vessels and and now this king is just kind of falling into the same trap you know of his pride blinding him from the true situation you know he's probably thinking man this is awesome all my officials everybody you know they want to just celebrate me they want to worship me and this sounds like a great idea you know i want to be the center of attention for 30 days i want everybody to pray to me for 30 days like and yet he doesn't realize what's truly going on you know, be wary of people who use flattery because they might have an ulterior motive, you know. Some people are so good at, at flattering, so good at, you know, whatnot, and that there's something else that's possibly going on. And I, and I love this proverb. You probably heard it before. But it, I always say this to myself when I think I'm doing something right, and, and maybe it's not, but it's Proverbs 16.25. says, there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. You know, sometimes we've got to check our heart, and sometimes we've got to check to see what's going on. You know, it, for him, it seems like a great idea, but maybe if he would have stepped back and possibly inquired of Daniel or somebody, they, he might have realized, like, oh, maybe there's something else going on. And the crazy part about this is that I was talking with John this week, and he went to this conference and it just about uh, the speaker is talking about how daring wicked people are in this world. You know, we got people of other religions, people following false gods, who are willing and daring to do some of the most atrocious things. And I think that, you know, albeit they're doing it for the wrong motives, it's almost something that we could um, kind of look at as a church and, and be like, wow, we gotta, we gotta wake up. If these people who are worshiping a false god are willing to to pretty much invade and and commit these terrible atrocities then maybe we should wake up as a church and be more bold in our faith so that we could stand and and hold the bulwark for god you know it's just something to think about because uh, daniel when he hears about this plot he's not going to be complacent against evil you know, he, he hears about it. He, he knows how he's going to overcome evil. And you, and you see it in this verse 10. He says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened towards Jerusalem. 
And three, day, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel, petitioning and imploring his God. So what does Daniel do when he hears about this? You know, does he, did he go running to the king and make a complaint or tell him that he's such a fool that he believed this? Did he plot revenge against his enemies? Did he run away and give in to despair? No, he, he does what he's always done. And that's be faithful to God. And I, I wonder, it's like, why would he continue to pray openly three times a day? You know, my thought that, that came across my mind was, you know, maybe I would just go in my closet and pray, you know, like, you know, close the windows and shut myself in the closet and, and pray, you know, I'd probably make, I'd tell the God, you know, God, you understand, you know, I don't want to get thrown to the lines. I don't want to be thrown to the lines then. I don't want to be cat food. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to kind of covertly pray. You, you understand. But not Daniel. He doesn't do that. He's not afraid to stand out. He, he just continues to do, he continues to do what he's always done. You know, he's not afraid of any limitation, any ruling of man, and he, he believes, like, that's not going to stop me. And he knows, and he knows the truth, how to overcome evil. And what occurred to me is that, how did these people know, how did they know to go after his prayer life? If you think about it, that's kind of scary, because I bet that they may not have realized, but maybe they're thinking, you know, if we could just cut off his prayer life, we could cut off his lifeline to his God. And I think in the same way today, I kind of look at maybe the world, maybe the, the enemy, the evil one, maybe even our own flesh, how, how things always seem like they get in the way of our prayer life. It seems like they just try to minimize that part of our Christianity. And I think we've got to be wary about that. We've got to be vigilant that we protect that. You know, that we've got to watch out for that because that's our lifeline to God. That's where we receive his power. That's where we see strongholds break. You know, there's this verse in, in 2 Corinthians that talk about the power of prayer. And I've just been uh, with the prayer team. I'm, I'm reading a lot more books on, on prayer. And I'm just becoming so amazed by its power. And in 2 Corinthians it says, For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but they are powerful through God, for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Prayer is powerful. And I, I, I um, included this paraphrase of the same kind of verse, and I think that if you don't really understand that first verse, this one kind of really captures the idea, which is what a paraphrase does. It says... It is true that I am an ordinary, weak human being, but I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. These weapons can break down every proud argument against, against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God. And change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. I like that paraphrase because 
what it's talking about is, the, is power, the power of prayer. And the word power, if you look it up in the Greek dynamos, is where we get the English word for dynamite. You know, when you ever see the word power, it's, that's where we get that word from, dynamite. And I remember uh, my grandfather, a little bit of his story, of um, he was a, he works at, as a miner for some time in his life, and he had experience with dynamite, TNT. And when he was drafted in World War II, uh, part of his job as a combat engineer was to go into enemy territory and find key locations and key, um, key bridges, and he would blow those up. And the reason why he would blow those up, the reason why they would go after that is because it prevented the enemy from moving freely. You know, it would greatly hinder the enemy's movements uh, and so that the allies could gain an advantage in advance. And I was thinking about that, and I just think that that is the perfect analogy for church. You know, we have to be um, a church that uses God's spiritual dynamite to demolish the enemy's strongholds in our lives, in our communities, in our world. And the truth is, is that I was, as I was studying, you know, as Jeremy was talking about um, kind of Peter, about Satan being a roaring lion, I was just looking in the Bible and studying, and I came across this interesting thing that uh, this author says that nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus has delivered us from Satan's power. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And in fact, when I was looking at that, in the Bible, um, the King James and the New King James Version would use the word power, but the real word is authority, or the Greek is exousia. And what the Bible does say is that Jesus delivers us out of Satan's exousia, his authority, or the right to exercise power, the, the legal right or the claim over us. Because if you compare the two, power is simply the ability, the exousia, the authority is the right. And so Satan didn't lose any of his ability. That's why he's described as a roaring lion. That's why we got to have the shield of faith to extinguish his fiery darts. And that's why they write that we shouldn't be ignorant of his schemes. He didn't lose any of his ability or his strength, but he lost his legal authority as the rebel occupier of this world. And I think that the reason why I brought that up is because a lot of people believe that um, they believe that that God destroyed Satan's power. No, he's alive and well, and he didn't curl up into a ball and cry himself to sleep. He's still a part of this world, and it's obvious that he's part of this world as you see the events and things going on. And in, in Colossians 1.13, it says, uh, this is Christ, he delivered us from the domain, the exousia, that's the authority of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so I, I just want us to understand that we can't be ignorant, or we can't fail to utilize the authority that Christ has given us through the cross and the empty tomb and through the power of prayer. Because the truth is, is that the evil one, in his scheming ways, he's going to try to use anything. He's going to try to use his power, abilities, schemes, lies, anything against us that we might not be aware of us. He's, 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 a, he's a liar and he's a trickster and he has been since the beginning of time. And as a church, we're in this spiritual battle. You know, and Christ wants us to enforce his victory through us. So what that means is that we have this role to play. We're not these 
passive participant on this world because there's a reason why when we got saved that the Lord didn't just take us to heaven. We're, there's a role for us here on this earth. It's our responsibility to be abiding in Christ. It's our responsibility to be wearing and putting on the full armor of God. And it's our responsibility to resist and oppose Satan so that he may flee. You know, this, when, I, when I learned this stuff, it kind of freaked me out because I didn't really realize that that was my responsibility. And it almost spooked me. I was like, man, I, I've never thought about that or understood that, but I could totally see how my friends and family, they're being attacked by him. There's so many, I mean, I just got a text today about this pastor who had to go to the hospital. He's having great depression and suicidal thoughts, and he's going to have to go into a mental war. And I'm like, man, that's, I, I know that's not ironic. You know, that's not just um, coincidence. He's being, there's something going on right there. And for us, we have to be bold enough and willing enough to use this spiritual dynamite to demolish these bridges that the enemy tries to use as footholds against us. And so, kind of went on a tangent, but this, this stuff wasn't, this wasn't anything new to Daniel. You know, he wasn't ignorant, and he knew how to fight with the right spiritual weapons, the weapons of prayer against the schemes and plots of the enemy. You know, it was through his persistent prayer. It said he set aside time to pray three times a day. And the truth is, is that oftentimes we try to use human methods and planning to overcome life's problems. And that's not to say that, you know, not all problems are spiritual problems. We're mind, body, spirit, and soul. You know, if, you're, if you have a bad diet and you're not sleeping good, and it's going to mess you up, you know, it's, it's just how it is. We reap, we reap what we sow. But um, the king is going to have a different reaction to that of Daniel in this passage. He's not going to react the same way as Daniel. And in fact, we'll, we'll see it right here in verse 12. It says, So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any man who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, As a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands... And is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed for, he prays three times a day. And as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. This king makes a huge, huge blunder. And he realized he's, he was deceived. He was blinded by his pride. And because of the law, if you read, because of the law, it was irrevocable. It couldn't be changed. And this is ironic because here's the, the most powerful man of his time. You know, here's the most powerful man. And he, and he couldn't do anything humanly possible to deliver Daniel. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything. It says he set his mind on rescuing Daniel. He made every effort to send on to deliver him. I'm sure he tried a lot of things, but none of them worked. He couldn't, he couldn't, there was nothing humanly possible. He exhausted all his resources. There was nothing he could do to deliver Daniel from this trap that these enemies had set against him. And if you think about it, what a world of difference between the reaction of Daniel who goes and, and prays, continues to praise openly, continues to be faithful, and the reaction of the king, who, who, who seems like he was displeased and was trying all these things to, to rescue him. What, what a world of difference. And it, and it seems like the king's actually more worried about Daniel than, 
Daniel's worried about himself, which is kind of weird. You know, I guess he really likes Daniel and doesn't want to lose him. But it, it seems like Daniel's fate is sealed in this story. And so let's see what happens as our story concludes for the night. It says, Then these men went to the king and said to him, You as king know it is law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king established can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he, and he could not sleep. So our story ends here tonight. Most of you who've been in church any amount of time probably knows what already happens next. This is one of the most famous stories in the, in the Old Testament, which you know I get stuck with. You guys already kind of know what's going to happen. I wish you didn't because it's more exciting to not know. It's like when someone moved, you know, someone spoiled Star Wars for me, and so when I was watching the movie, I won't tell you what happened, you know, they told me someone important, you know, someone important, I, I can't even, I won't even spoil it for you guys, but he didn't, he didn't spoil it, for, he, didn't, he didn't spoil it for me, but it's like knowing the ending of a movie, right, and you're going in it, but I don't want us to, to kind of lose this moment in the story, because what I've been trying to say is that victory or success in the Christian life doesn't happen by osmosis. It just, it just doesn't happen by accident. You know, the, the, the circumstances he in, he, he knew that there was nothing being done, nothing could be changed, and yet Daniel continued praying when all circumstance was against him. You know, it even seems like the last verse, it says the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. It, it seemed like even this king who was worried about Daniel, it seemed like even him who didn't worship Yahweh was still fasting for Daniel, and, and in his own way, kind of interceding for Daniel. Which is strange. And the truth is, is that that's, this is a kind of a recipe for success, for victory in our Christian life. You know, in 1 Timothy says, 6.12, it says, Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. And I love that part. It says, take hold of it. We have, Christ is giving us so much. He, he's, it says in the Bible, he's giving us everything we need for our life and godliness. You know, he's paid for our ransom. He's given us authority over the evil one, over all powers of darkness. He, he's given us, in, in the Corinthians, this has given us spiritual weapons to demolish strongholds. And the truth is, is that we have to take hold of these, of these things. We, we have to be active participants. We can't be ignorant. We can't just sit around and expect them just to happen by osmosis. You know, we, we, we have a role in this world as God's people, as God's representatives to, to bring the kingdom of heaven down here on earth. You know, and so as a church... I think that knowing all this stuff, I think that we can be a little bit more daring, you know, being willing to step out, even of our own limitations, to, to go and, and do great things for God. You know, we've got to be daring in this world. There's, there's people in this world that are 
very daring for their God, doing terrible things, and, and we got to step up and do something that is daring and to, and to come into our authority and come into the understanding of what God wants us to do. And my, my last question is that, do we, do we want to make this ours? You know, do we want to step into that? I know I do. I want to I live this life to the fullest, and I want to receive everything that God has for me. You know, I, even now, it's like I was thinking I've been a Christian for, you know, maybe, uh, when was I? Can't do the math. 15 years. And I'm like, man, there's so much I'm, I'm still learning. You know, there's so much even in the prayer ministry that I'm, I'm learning so much about it, and it's just blowing my mind. And, and I just want to kind of end on a story. I don't know if it really relates to the message, but I'm just going to share it anyways because um, it's, it's about my friend, one of my best friends growing up, Glenn. I was just talking to him before this message, and um, he was, I was just talking with him, and he was talking about this camp that he went to, this, this camp Freedom for Men. It's this men's camp in the mountain. And it's really just three days of, of intensive uh, prayer. And he said he fasted for like 50 hours. And, but it's this camp that's directed upon breaking strongholds over men's lives. Things that have held them back. You know, whether spiritual strongholds or addictions and, and things. And, and he went to this camp and he was saying that, you know, a lot of guys in this camp who, who have issues, you know, they, they really have um, issues with their father. So there's a special time of this kind of kind of releasing stuff, and they did this exercise where they would be like writing a letter to their, to their dad. And, uh, and Glenn, my friend, he didn't know his biological dad. He actually had, you know, he, he, he never met his biological dad. He never talked to his biological dad, and he had a stepdad that he didn't really like, and then his mom, you know, divorced him and then married another person. So he's, he's almost really had three dads in his life, and and he's writing this letter and he's getting all this out, you know, just all this hatred and all this kind of betrayal. And just, man, Dad, you, you never were in my life. You never reached out to me. I don't even know who you are. And through this exercise, he was able to kind of release forgiveness upon his dad and just say, Dad, you know, I forgive you. You know, you, you know maybe your upbringing was bad. And, and his dad was an addict and, and whatnot. But the crazy part of the story is that um, when he went home, he found in his mail a letter from his biological dad. The same day that he wrote his letter, right? And this is not, the letter he wrote was not going to be sent to his dad. He, he found in, in the mailbox this letter of his dad's name, his address, and his number. And, you know, talking to him today, he said that, you know, when he got that in the mail, he was so blown away, but he, he just couldn't bring himself to talk to his, his dad. You know, he, he's never talked to him before. He, he just didn't know what that was going to be like. And, and he said that on the phone. He said, I, I called my dad for the first time last week. You know, he's 30 years old. He never knew his dad. And he talked to his dad, and they had this conversation. His dad was in tears, and, and it's just amazing. And I just look at that story. I'm like, man, God broke through that stronghold. You know, he, he had a... He had to do his part. He had to release. He had to pray and, and be willing to, to go into that. But it's like, that's a miracle. That's the power of God that is available to, to us if we, if we want that. I mean, I, I was just so blown away by his story. I was like, it's amazing. It's amazing just to hear that. Because I know for him, that was the biggest struggle of his life was just 
not having a real father and and it just like really tore him up and and whatnot but to see god kind of restore him it's just been amazing what i've seen the last five years of just the transformation of just his life through prayer you know really from somebody that was lost and now like he's the children's director and he might be a pastor one day and it's like god can just change somebody's life just like that through that and so i hope that tonight that you know we as a church just feel like we can be more daring in the way that in who god calls us to be i oftentimes hear that where people say oh man i just feel so unworthy you know well the truth is is that god has made us worthy Yes, we were unworthy, but he has made us worthy. He has made us worthy, and he entrusts us with his authority representing him in this world. He, he really trusts the church with so much. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's almost scary. I'm like, God, you trust us so much to, to go out and really represent your name and to bind and loose and to come against the, the kingdom of darkness and to bring people into your kingdom? He trusts us. He, he wants us to be co-laborers with him. And so I, I hope that encourages us to just go out and, and try to go past our limitations and, and to move forward into that. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, just thank you for tonight, Lord. I pray that, God, that you just give us a spirit of boldness, Lord, in this time. God, that we wouldn't look at ourselves god as much as we look at you god and and just how worthy that you've you've made us lord and that we could just go out with confidence lord and be willing just to share our lives with people share our love with people and just the grace that you have upon us lord and god i just pray that um that we would just continue to grow in you as a community together Lord, and in our confidence of you, Lord, and the authority that you have given us. And all God's people said, amen. amen.